In this episode of the Business of E-Commerce, I talk with Rose Nichols about how to launch an e-commerce cosmetics brand. This is the Business of E-Commerce, episode 66. Welcome to the Business of E-Commerce, the show that helps e-commerce retailers start, launch, and grow the e-commerce business. I'm your host, Charles Pileski, and I'm here today with Rose Nichols. Rose is a founder of Lip Inc., a cosmetics company that she started in 1995 that has since generated multi-millions in sale in e-commerce sales. I've asked her in the show today to talk about how she launched Lip Inc. and the lessons she learned along the way. So, hey, Rose, how are you doing today? I'm fine. Thank you for having me on your show, Charles. Yeah, it's great to have you on. It, uh, <laughs> we were just talking before the show on all the things that have changed since 95. So I love these. I, lo- I love talking to folks that have started a while back and have seen kind of the progression and what's changed and what hasn't changed. Um, so it's always getting an interesting perspective there. So where are you guys at today? So on Life's Cosmetics, um, so I'm, you know, kind of guessing, but kind of what do you do exactly today? Let's kind of start off there and kind of then go back in time a little bit. Well, as of today, we're, we're on 15 websites that we built and they're all related to a thousand products that uh, I created. I'm a chemist, uh, uh, and uh, a patent. I I had many patents, so I'm an inventor, uh, and all the things are mostly related to being 100% smear-proof. The world's only 100% smear-proof vegan, kosher, natural, organic color cosmetics, all made here in America. So in our own factory. So I've been an inventor that got to see my formulas, uh, you know, made by myself, <laughs> which is wow. really nice. Yeah, so- most most doesn't happen very often. Yeah. I feel like most people do cosmetics. You usually the model, right? Is there's a, um, trying to think of the word, a company that specializes in actually generating the cosmetics and you kind of go to them and, uh, different colors and scents or whatever it is. And they kind of formulate something to meet your needs, but you went the other way and started, you know, (laughs) started from like a blank piece of paper and let's just do this. Right. It, it, it started out with, um, a lot of formulas. I went to license the technology to all the major companies out there and uh, it wasn't a good reception. So I took it upon myself to build a factory and, and uh, you know, make it happen. So uh, over the years, I built a lot of machinery in the factory uh, and I'm the uh, compounder, formulator, designer of all the products, the chemist. I got to be everything, which has really been quite an interesting ride. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. You don't hear that often. So how did you, so were you a chemist before this or how did this even happen? I, I, am a chemist by design. So I, as I came up with the formulas, I, I had to study chemistry. Then I had to, uh, learn botanicals and, um, I started to write patents and then, uh, it, it became really crazy after a while. Cause, uh, once you file for the patents, they instantly get, um, copied by the all the major companies and you wind up spending a lot of your time in court dealing with that so and not being able to run your company so um uh, so you have to kind of do both and run the company and deal with the legal stuff so uh it's it's quite a ride and then uh to sell the product we decided early on in 1995 to go uh fully internet um i came from securities insurance and financial services where we were fully networked so I said, when I started this company in 95, I want to do the same thing with uh, the cosmetic company. And uh, we were able to build the first cosmetic site in 1995. 
and uh, we actually got um, programmers that were, there weren't a lot of programmers back then, so you had to steal them from another company. So so we actually got them from Playboy. And uh, they would come over at night and, and help program the sites and build them. And uh, we were fully networked all the way back in 1995. Hmm. Everything was kind of smoke and mirrors on the front because if you saw uh, what was going on on the back end, it would shock you. <laughs> you know, with security that we have today, uh, that didn't exist back then. So uh, what you saw on the internet was uh, a facade. And on the back end of it, uh, your credit cards were being charged on a credit card machine through Excel, and nothing was fully networked. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, all the way out to the shipping department, having to rekey those orders into shipping. So um, it, it took a lot on the back end, but the front end looked just like you see today. In fact, it was actually better because we were able to do it with um, Flash. Uh, today, you know, Google stepped in and, and stopped that. So, you know, they kind of put a, a dam in the middle of your website if you weren't in HTML. So, yeah, you t- you're the- taking me back to those days where Flash, you would go to a website and it would, yeah. uh, you know, take over and your, your CPU would start spinning and your computer would like sound like a light on fire. And, uh, <laughs> but it, but, but really it cool. looked great. Yeah, it looked great. But <laughs> <laughs> your computer would light on fire, but it looked fantastic. Yeah. So, yeah, so back in those days, um, I call that our Rolls Royce websites because they were the women could pick their colors online, uh, all on one page, and drill in and and order them and and play with the colors on a face, and it was a one page website that did everything. Uh, but it was in Flash, so uh, you know that didn't work going forward. We had to take that site down and and uh, go more for the mainstream type of website. And I think we're four four major websites into it at this point. Yeah, but those, those the, pesky the tr- uh, mobile phone users, they, they, yeah. <laughs> they didn't work so well. Well, even back then, uh, I think the T1 lines were going down for sometimes six months at a time. So you were using a slow internet dial-up, but nobody really knew. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. So um, over the years, all that networking that, that made it so that you could print the order and not have to rekey it in the shipping department, we wound up being the first company in uh, FedEx to actually fully network. The president of FedEx flew out and um, it didn't work. <laughs> so, so he made a trip all the way out and we put it all the way in and it didn't work. So, uh, But shortly after that, they did figure out how to get it to go fully network. And, and at that time, it was interesting because you had enough people visiting your site in one day, equal to what it takes at this time in one month. So in one day, we had that many visitors that what we have with 15 websites today in a month. Yeah, you're taking me back to, so I remember the 90s, um, maybe depending on how old some folks are out there, you used to actually, and this is quite, this sounds insane now saying it out loud, but there used to be so few websites, you would actually go out and buy a book, like a physical printed book at a store they would list all the websites and you would, yeah. you wouldn't search. You would just go to those websites and you could actually just go to all of them and then you'd be done and you'd have to like throw away the book and go buy another one next month. And then the book started getting really big, really quick and you needed to, and then, you know, obviously like search engines were invented, but at one point it was quite literally just a book and you just bought it and then went to those sites. And that's how you browse the internet. Yeah. And, and it was sort of the, the stock market of the URLs back then too. So everybody was buying up all the URLs. Ah, uh, yeah, um, yeah. I've, when when three letter domains were still a thing, when you could actually get, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I feel like back then, launching an e commerce brand, it was more of a, a technical challenge, right? Like just just the concept of like how do you take a credit card online? 
it wasn't immediately obvious. There was actually no way to do it initially, right? You said you kind of just keyed them into, you know, some machine by hand, yep. that sort of thing. We, yeah. And and then it went into accounting by somebody keying it in again through Excel. So uh, there wasn't a networked bookkeeping system that fully networked the website, you know, to, to take those sales and put it into an accounting program. So, uh, or even print your shipping label. So all of it was done manually and there was no security, but, you know, people felt secure. So that's good. I don't think they had the hackers back then. Yeah. I, I do remember the first time putting a credit card in online and it was a bit of a, like, I kind of felt like basically I was going to get robbed, like mugged somehow, like online because I never did it before. Um, where now it's something you do on your phone, like on the subway, not thinking about it. I feel, I feel like more launching a business, an e-commerce business then it was more of a, more of like a technical hurdle. Like, can you even like take a credit card period versus now it's more of a marketing hurdle, right? Can you get people to come to your site? Has that kind of been what you see? Yeah, it, it's completely changed uh, over the years. And and now what I see e-commerce uh, moving to, towards is, is uh, Amazon. I mean, I see it, uh, uh, where people have websites, but the, you know, if they can order on Amazon, they're going to go there. They're going to go to your website and they're going to, you know, look at your prices. They're going to look at the information about your company. They're going to go to your social media. They're going to check you out and, and then they're going to probably go to Amazon and buy it. <laughs> so that, that's what we've been seeing. And it's a slow move. I, you know, it isn't like, uh, most of our sales on are on Amazon, but I see that future, uh, getting bigger and bigger. So you have six, uh, 15 individual sites, you said, but you also sell on Amazon, right? Yes, we sell on eBay, Amazon, Walmart, um, Etsy. We, we sell on a lot of sites. And it sounds like you see Amazon as a channel that's kind of growing and kind of taking market share from the others, or how does it, how's it kind of shifting? It kind of the same way Google did. So Google kind of took over the internet with uh, the search engines, and, and I see Amazon taking over the e-commerce with... Um, just offering more and more things. In fact, they're going to start offering podcasts on, on when you're up there placing your order, there'll be somebody with a podcast that can talk to you. That's what I just got today. So they're going more and more, uh, making that relationship to the seller, to the consumer so that they're connecting. And, uh, you know, most websites can't do all that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're able to offer certain things. Um, the other day I remember getting a alert at a package coming and you could actually watch the truck, like driving to my house on the app. I'm thinking like, how do they do, like, how is this even possible right now? And I could see the, and like, I can see it's driving down the street and all right, they'll be here in three stops. Like, fantastic. And I, I can go home and grab the package. And, and that technology for um, regular e-commerce websites, I don't think it's going to happen that quickly. And, you know, they're just, uh, so, so regular e-commerce websites, I think are going to be more about uh, learning about who you're buying from and the culture of the company and maybe to watch some videos and, you know, and, and, to create the sale, but I think people in the future will be going more to Amazon. Do you still see people finding you as a brand going to like, how are people finding you the brand wise? Like coming directly to your site, getting educated there, but then just going onto Amazon and running a search for the same product. Yes. I, I don't think they're going to start with Amazon. Um, you know, I think they want to see the culture of where they're buying the product and who is the company and what's the company about and does it fit their needs and, and, so they'll, they'll start with, you know, your, your website and then, you know, it will trigger, I think as they place orders, it'll go straight to uh, Amazon after that. Once they feel comfortable with the company, it's all you. It's just that 
you know, there's a lot of companies on Amazon, so I don't think they're going to find you that way. I think they're going to be looking more at your website to begin with. Yeah, I did that a while back, actually. So I was, I was buying, um, I wanted to come to the, the office a little faster. So I decided I would buy an electric scooter. And I went on Amazon and typed it in. And literally like a thousand show up. And I'm looking through them, thinking to myself, half of these probably light on fire. Like, I don't know if I can trust these. I like, I just, I, I, you know, I don't want to spend $500 on something that's going to light on fire. It doesn't seem like a great idea. So I ended up finding a few brands on there, going to their site, going back to them and just kind of doing this like back and forth of trying to understand who are the reputable, reputable brands and who are the ones that I've, no one's ever heard of and light on fire. And I found a brand that I liked and purchased. I actually, like you said, went back and purchased on Amazon because of that. But I kept going back and forth, trying to research either on their site around the internet and just trying to figure out who's reputable and who's not going to, you know, do something bad that's going to break, fall out of warranty. And I kind of did need to go off Amazon for that. So I'm guessing that's kind of what you're seeing as well. Yes. And, and the other thing right now is the the government's having the sales tax where they're going uh, wherever the product's being shipped. It used to be wherever the product was being shipped from, sales tax is paid in that state. Now all the states are stepping into that role and wanting uh, the sales tax from each community, not just the state. So I don't know if in you're from Boston, but I don't know how many zip codes there are there, but I'm sure there's quite a different array of uh, sales tax uh, fees based on wherever you're calling, you know, wherever you're placing that order from. So the sales tax is going to be crazy for e-commerce going forward. Uh, on Amazon, they already have the apps in place to do it, but for uh, uh, somebody's personal website that they're selling e-commerce on, it's going to be hard. I mean, that's yeah, I think most people don't even see that aspect, right? Because when you sell, you can just not do it, right? But at some point, you're going to get to some size, and then you have to be compliant. Like, I'm obviously not an accountant, so don't believe anything I say. But I think a lot of people go, they just below a certain line and just kind of just say, we're just not going to be compliant, or we'll be compliant-ish. But once you get over a certain size, you have to, you have to do the right thing. Yes. And, uh, and the reporting could be just in one state alone, uh, there could be uh, 20 different or maybe even as many, many as 50 different um, uh, forms that have to be filled out in that state because every single one of those uh, county cities uh, wants d a different amount. <laughs> different amount. And you also have to, you know, fax things to them through some like black and white printed thing that you have to write on. It's, it's a very odd process. I've done it before and it seems like it's probably... That, that's probably the one thing since 1995 that hasn't changed very much is faxing, sending those forms around and getting like a printed letter in the mail. And um, it's pretty unbelievable how that's been the same. But selling through Amazon, right? They kind of just take care of that. You sell, they handle that aspect, right? Yes, that, that they'll be doing that and providing the information. But mostly it's going to all be filed, I believe, going through apps at this point because it's just too much too much paperwork for one company to try to handle on their own at this point. Yep. Are you, how do people deal with it? Or how do you guys deal with it? Where obviously on Amazon, you have to pay them one listing fee. And I don't know the fees specifically for the cosmetics um, category, but it's much higher than what you're probably paying credit card processing fees. I can just guess. Do you sell at the same price? And are visitors going to Amazon and seeing a higher price and going direct and seeing a lower price? Or how do you deal with that aspect of it? Well, we've been keeping it straight across the board, the same price. Um, sometimes we'll have... Uh sales and things like that on Amazon. Uh, but mostly across the board, we kept the prices the same so that people can pick where they want to go and, and make their purchase. And then 
Um, Amazon has FBA where they're selling it uh, for us. So we ship the product to them and they sell it. And then we also have our own store. So, uh, uh, and most of the prime members are going to be buying it straight through Amazon, uh, through the FBA. So a lot of people sell both. So, okay. So, so you're, we sh- we, you're going with the model of trying to be everywhere essentially and do, yes. do each thing. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. And there's some customers that don't have prime, so they'll purchase from us so directly on Amazon. Why which, is that? Uh, you know, there's a fee that you have to pay for prime and maybe they don't want to pay it. But why would they, I'm trying to think, why would someone without prime choose to buy direct? Oh, usually if they have Prime, they're going to buy directly from Amazon. Okay. But if they don't have Prime, then they could go either. They could go either. And and uh, uh, w- we see it pretty much uh, an even number of people buying it through Prime as opposed to buying it directly through us. So maybe that'll change, but not right now. <laughs> Weird. It's, every time I find out there's like, I know there's quite a few people that don't have Prime, but just being where I'm located in Boston, shipments come sometimes in like a day quite literally, and you can just order anything. I ordered uh, batteries the other day, and they just show up the next day, like in the morning. So it's not even, it's almost, it's just faster to buy them online. So I'm always shocked by the people that don't have Prime at this point. But then I realized not everywhere, you know, can get like same day shipping and that's like same day shipping for free, basically. So not everyone has that yet. So it's interesting having, having both, because you can go FBA, but then obviously there's higher fees through that. But also, you're almost competing with your own listing, then, right? Pretty much, yeah. And then, and then the people that are on like fixed incomes might not be able to afford Prime. You know, their their money's limited to what they can spend it on. So, so but as so you're so as a manufacturer, it's essentially your page. You're the only one that can list on that, right? Yes, you get your brand registered. That's what we did. If you have a trademark, and then yeah, you're the only person that can sell that product under that name. So then essentially there's just two of you. There's you with FBA, then you direct. And that's, so it's just a brand page and they can just pick you or you. They have two options. If they can figure out what that means, but yes. <laughs> yeah, most people don't know that little arrow is in the right-hand side of the buy box and they can drop down and there's actually people that are cheaper sometimes, but you don't find them, they're kind of buried. Yeah, that's true. Okay. What was the patent process like? I'm kind of curious about that. I don't, I hear that sometimes some people are super about like you have to get a patent and that's the only way to go. And then you have people on the other side of don't even bother. People are just going to copy you. It's just, you're almost, there's no purpose. Where do you kind of fall on that? In the beginning, I, I, uh, I was convinced that, you know, if these formulas that I created needed patents and it was true. I mean, they, they were uh, even litigated and they were, had to be written for litigation and they held up all the way. Not a single case ever went through court. Most people just stopped uh, you know, stealing the formula right in the very beginning. And then later it went to trade secret and I stopped filing patents, but the, the trade name is the, what is being infringed at this point. So about every year we get a major company stealing the name. So then we have to spend a lot of time stopping that on. When you said a trade secret, what is that exactly? I went to trade secret. Oh, trade secrets where you don't exactly divulge how you make the product kind of like Coca-Cola. Okay, so you don't have you, there's a patent, but you don't have to tell anyone what's. It's just a, a secret patent. Well, at, at, uh, actually, patents go for about twenty years, and then um, a- after that, you uh, usually about before they've even ended, you figured out how to make it a better way, and you just don't tell anybody how you do that. <laughs> okay, so you you can start at the end of the twenty years, you should basically start making it a different way. Yeah. And quite literally, by a secret, you just don't tell anyone your secret. 
Yes. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> Which is actually a lot cheaper and a lot less stressful. So. Yeah, and probably makes it obviously once you have the patent, people people can copy a patent, right? You just have to then litigate. But with a trade secret, it's actually more work for them to copy you. It, you're not telling them the best way to make it. So yes, it's a lot harder for them to figure out what you're doing. Okay. So would you, and I want to actually ask about the brand, the name infringement in a moment, but would you recommend even going the patent route today? Or would you just say, just go, just keep it a secret and just, you know, let someone try to copy you, but good luck. <laughs> well, actually I wrote a book called Lip Diva and I, I do talk about that, that, that it's about $3 million in the state of California to defend your patent. So, and that's just one. And if you happen to have a lot of them, like I did, um, you, I mean, just add the numbers up. It's, it's pretty hard for an individual to protect their patents. They were, uh, designed a long time ago to create commerce and that's what they do today. So, um, they're actually encouraged to try to figure out a way around the patent. So you create more commerce. And so I don't think patents were designed to help the patent holder. (laughs) that they were designed more to create commerce for, uh, you know, for the state of California or it, we're in the state of California and for the federal government. So more people will make more products using uh, some version of your patent and create uh, more commerce. So that's what patents were really designed for. And then they kind of morphed into, over the course of our history, um, more like brownie points. So the bigger companies have them because it gives them brownie points. But for an individual like myself, it makes no sense to have them because defending them is beyond my means. Yeah. So it's either, you know, too expensive or just impossible, right? Because it could also be nowadays, it could be international competitors where you can't, it's impossible, right? There's no, even if you had the means, you can't go after this factories, who knows all over the globe that could just copy what you're doing. Yeah. And, and, but there are, you know, there are, uh, companies out there that will, uh, law firms that will defend it, you know, for that they'll participate with you. And, and so that helped, that's how I was able to stay in the business, but the trademarks are a lot tougher because no, uh, nobody wants to help you with those. So those become a lot more work every day. You have to defend your trademark going into Amazon, eBay, every place you see people using your brand name, your trade name and stop them. And so you have to take down a lot of auctions uh, on eBay and a lot of listings on Amazon and Walmart and wherever you're listing your products, because it's commonplace for people to just take your name. And it's kind of like putting up a a sign saying, come and buy my stuff, you know, because uh, they're not selling your product, but they want to use your name. So, Let's say 2019, you are starting a cosmetics brand. You basically say, skip over the patent process, trademark the name, and then just defend the heck out of that. And just don't don't worry about the actual patent and defending that way because uh, it's just too expensive and you won't be able to do it anyway. Yeah, exactly. So you're yeah, seeing... Put... Oh, sorry, go on. So, so you could take all that money you would have put into that and put it into your marketing because the marketing is going to take you a lot further than the patents. Okay, so skip over patents. I like I like this advice because I see people on very different sides of this, and even what we do here at software, and people have asked, "Hey, you have patents?" And I've always said, eh, "I don't know what I would do with that. Like, what would I, would I sue someone? I don't really know. It always seems like something that I just don't want to play that game." That's been my take um, from what I from what we do here. But I'm kind of curious there. But you would say even today though, you have to trademark the name because people will come after it once you do well. Yes. Yeah, the trademark actually winds up being 
uh, even more important than than the patents. <laughs> if you if you stay in the business long enough and enough people recognize the name, it 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 survives beyond the, the patents. Patents are only about twenty years shelf life, but a trademark can go on forever. And the trade in the the name itself is essentially a bundle of different products, right? So you could come up with a million formula, a thousand formulas under there, all different things, but you're selling under the, the lip ink brand. And that's what people actually, people don't recognize the formula. Maybe they remember it, they use it, but they're really saying, let's buy a lip ink product because they come out with new, innovative products, different formulas. So whatever you're coming up with, because you have a brand behind it, that's kind of the, the power. Yes. Got it. So yeah. then how do you defend that on Amazon? Are people coming in just like squatting in your listing or like, what are they doing to come after you there? Well, uh, they'll uh, call their product by your name and, and there's a brand registry that prote uh, pr protects you. So you, when you first start selling on Amazon, you have to set up your brand registry and by sending them all the information about your trademarks, you know, internationally and in the U S and, um, they have a division that helps you take down those listings. And then eBay does the same thing. They have uh, something called Vero that helps uh, the trademark owner protect their trademarks and they remove their listings as well. And some of them are, for, the, the products might have that name printed on them and maybe they bought that product from somebody else, a second supplier, and they didn't even realize that they were buying a counterfeit product like that. <laughs> oh, so people so people are actually putting your brand on their product and just on, the, on their listing, on their product, they're just printing cosmetics with your brand name on it. Yes. Wow. And how effective, how effective is this process in actually stopping them? It's pretty good. I mean, in one day you could take down uh, thousands of listings. We've, we've been able to do it before. Wow. Okay. Are people doing this just on the marketplaces or is this something you're seeing like an individual spin up a site or is that not something people do? It, mostly it's going on from uh, products coming in from uh, countries that don't honor trademarks. Korea is one of them. So uh, Korea says if we can sell more of a product under your trademark, even though you've taken the trademark out in Korea, um, and we can sell more of it in our country, then you can't have your trademark anymore. <laughs> so then they start importing those products from Korea into the United States. And that's where you can take the listing down because they're not, that trademark's not honored in the United States. If you have your own trademark here. So do you have to actually trademark in Korea also, or is it just a U.S. thing, but they kind of work together? It's almost impossible because they'll say that they can outsell whatever you you sell in their country. And how do you prove that? So they just basically, if you take a trademark out in Korea, it belongs to them. Right. Okay. Wow. So you don't, so don't even bother doing that trademark in the U.S. and wait till they come to your market first. You don't, you don't go there and try to, you know, go after them. You just defend the U.S. market. Yeah. Uh, th it doesn't happen in, in other, like Canada's great and Australia's great and Japan's great. Uh, we've only really run into the problem in Korea. Wait, okay. And now are you only run into the, pro the problem in the marketplaces or are there people actually off marketplaces even doing it at the site level, like trying to really go after the brand, like on their, does someone ever create like a lipink.net site and try to sell their product there? Or is this all just on Amazon? No, the, there's different rules for the URL. So uh, the name, the trademark name, maybe in the in the country of Korea, they could do it, but uh, not an international. There's rules for that, so that you're protected on that. So if you do have a trademark name, I think your URL is going to be safe. <laughs> okay, so URL safe, but the marketplaces, you was, the mar how do yeah you the marketplaces are crazy. <laughs> how do you know they're even doing this? Like, are you just going on every couple of weeks and 
just searching for your own brand and seeing listings that aren't you? Like, how does that work? Yeah, that's what, so you have to have a whole task force in your company that's going to all these different various places looking to see who's using your name. Wow. And so that's something you guys do. That's, yeah. <laughs> and then you try to contact them first or you just go right to Amazon and just point and... Yeah, they all have a, a division. Uh, Amazon has a division that takes care of uh, a brand registry and so does um, eBay and so does Kmart, Walmart, all of them do. Wow. Okay. Very... Yeah, I, I hear this all the time. I've even had stories on some, I was, re, I was reading or talking to someone where somebody had one of the brand squatters essentially point out their, come back to the original owner of the brand and say that they were the trademark infringer. Like somebody went after them saying that. And they're like, no, 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 we're the, we are the trademark holder. And it was like this whole battle back and forth to actually prove who was right. And they were essentially like pointing at each other. And each one was saying, no, 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 we're the real trademark owner. So I've heard some, bizarre horror stories with this yeah and 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 you can't do it all yourself so you have to pay an attorney who's also steps in because some of the companies are bigger than you and and uh, uh they won't deal with you directly they want to talk to your law firm so so, so where do you think see things kind of headed because it almost feels like this like double-edged sword right you can sell on amazon you can sell in the marketplaces you can i'm guessing move a ton of product easily just because they already have the audience and you don't have to you don't have to bring the audience there. They kind of bring them to you, but you have other issues. Do you see stuff going more in this direction or where do you see things kind of going? I, I see um, uh, Amazon growing so big that um, I, I, don't, I don't see people really buying online anymore on websites. Uh, they might buy a sale item or something like that, but uh, you know, I, I, I see Amazon being um, owning it kind of the way Google does. <laughs> so you see, would you still see people though building building a brand and that brand just living on Amazon and that just being like this is my brand it's Am and it lives on Amazon and that's it or like what do you see people doing the whole brand building? Uh, well, I think they still need to bring, uh, build their e-commerce site because their social media links to that. It doesn't link to Amazon and and uh, you know the consumer is going to just see who they're dealing with by going to their site. You know, seeing new things they're coming out with that's hard to see on Amazon. Uh, I really think they start with their e-commerce site, the customers, and then once they're familiar with the site and feel comfortable, they're going to start just going to Amazon because of the customer service is just so much better. Uh, oh, okay. No, yeah, most companies can't be twenty-four-seven to their customers the way Amazon can. Well, that's the other thing, right? Because then they handle that customer service, like you were saying, the customer service. So if you have a return, there's someone there; they can help you generate the label, do all that. That's something I'm guessing most companies, like you said, cannot do. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. That is super, uh, it's funny because I interviewed a guest a while back and some people say the exact opposite where everyone's trying to get away from Amazon. And then I've heard that perspective where everything, Amazon's going to eat the world. So you see just these different, you know, everyone's kind of seeing stuff from a, a different place. So it's just so interesting to hear that perspective. Yeah. Uh, it's just a progression of what happens once, uh, I think you've built your website, created a following, and then I think those people are just going to be going more to Amazon to buy it after they, you know, are okay with you as a company. Yeah. All right. Interesting. Any kind of last tips, word of advice? Let's say somebody was starting off in, you know, 2019, they wanted to kind of follow your footsteps and launch their own brand, maybe in the cosmetic space. Anything, any bits of wisdom you would give them? Well, we're, we're actually, um, uh, 
launching our B2B finally going into stores with our product, but we're not, we're going to follow the Amazon method where the store is not going to carry the product. They'll have the testers, maybe a one-time use kit that they can give somebody. Our product's sold in a three product kit. Um, it, the color is never put directly on the lips. It's a, the technology I developed is a liquid color that's a hundred percent smear proof. And, uh, there's some directions they have to follow, but they need three products. You can't take it off with soap. Um, you do need a remover, but the remover we have is so safe. You can pour it in your eyes and even drink it if, if you want it. So, uh, but soap won't take it off. It's the wrong pH. So, um, anyway, that, that the way we're planning on going in stores is through, uh, putting our tester units in the store so the customers can see the product. But I think we're going to be shipping it uh, directly to the consumer. So stores won't have to carry inventory. And I think that's going to be a big direction going forward into the retail malls, into all retail that you see that they're going to have to start reducing their inventories because they just don't have the money for it anymore. So they won't even, so you'll, I'm, I'm thinking the, you know, the Macy's and they come up to you and kind of show you around. So they'll just show you the product, but then if they actually want to buy it, they just refer to the customer just comes directly to you or does, does Macy's order? How does that work? Uh, Macy's would put that order in and have it drop shipped to the customer, but the, but the, I don't know that it'd be Macy's, but we're, you know we're looking at stores more like Skechers and and a more lifestyle related to our product really fits into lifestyle as opposed to beauty. Um, it, so the product would they'd have a one time use kit that the person would take home, so they have something while they're waiting for that order to show up the next day or something like that, the way Amazon does it. So it's just drop shipped directly to the customer. So the store doesn't have to carry the uh, inventory. Although, you know, we're not a, opposed to it. We just feel that the future is really going to be inventory less. Wow. So now the the retail, so it started that the the internet was, were the drop shippers and now it's kind of gone full circle and the retailers are the drop shippers to the internet now. Yeah. Wow. I think, okay. I think so. Yeah. So that that's the direction we're going. I'm not sure how many other companies are going to go that direction, but it works the best for us. And we still stay the manufacturer. So we like that. <laughs> yep. And yeah, and it probably enables the retailers also to carry a lot of brands like a, I'm picturing, so like you said, a Skechers, small store, small footprint, they can't stock, you know, 50 brands in the back. It would just take up too much shelf space, especially something like cosmetics. I'm guessing there's just a ton of SKUs, right? So someone's going to want something and just always going to be out of stock. So why not just drop ship it right to the house? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so that, that is the, that's how retail is going to stay alive. They're just going to, retail is going to drop ship back to online. Now it's going to go completely the other way. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Well, and it kind of, it makes sense for something like a lot of things, cosmetics, fashion, anything like that, where you have to kind of go and touch it and fill it and try it, that sort of thing. It's not just something, some, there's some group of people that doesn't, that can't just go online and buy something like that, I picture. And they want to go and try it out first. So you're giving them a way to do that and still. Yeah, we've got three generations now of women because we started in 1995 and, and uh, our, our newest generation wants to see it in stores. They're, you know, they're telling us you need to be in stores. So we're listening to them and that's how we plan on doing it. Yeah, because there's certain products, same thing I know for men, you know, clothing, shoes, that sort of thing. I still want to go and just see them or touch them or fill them. And like you said, I don't need them that day. I don't, it's not like you need a new pair of shoes right that second. You could go, and if you like them, they ship you one, um, ship you back to your house. And I've recently done that as well. So it actually is something you can kind of see how this direction is going to work. And you're basically using retail to, like, uh, to display the online products almost. 
That, that's what we're hoping. Yeah, and our product is very demonstrable. When people see it, uh, we'll spray it with water and show them that it, you can't make it smear. It's impossible. <laughs> so they're pretty excited about it. All they've ever seen up until the point they see our product is long lasting. They've never seen 100% smear proof. Okay, so you're actually, and that's something, it's probably, you know, you can try to show them out online, show them some videos, but it probably makes some more impact seeing it live, you know, put it on them, put it on, put it on the hand or something and try to smear it and actually watch it happen. That's, that's what they like to see. Very cool. Yeah, I can definitely see why. And I can see why that little demonstration goes a long way and really kind of just like closes the deal at that point. And then it's just a issue of, okay, just mail it to them and they'll get it. No big deal. Yeah. Very cool. All right, Rose, I think that's super helpful. If people want to learn more about you, learn more about the brand, where can they go? They can go to lipink, L-I-P-I-N-K dot com. And then uh, they could go uh, look for our flagship stores. And we have another 15 different sites where we have even color cosmetics for men. Uh, we have personal care products and lots of other products, but all designed here and in our factory here in El Segundo. And they're ve all vegan, natural, kosher, uh, and botanical. Awesome. I will link to that in the show notes. It was great chatting with you. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thank you.